So, so today we want to uh, continue a bit of, of what we've been doing on addressing culture. We're, we're kind of in a mini-series. In the, in the next year, we're going to address aspects of culture in different kind of modes and levels. But the last uh, couple weeks, we've been talking about renewal in a cultural crisis. And last week, we, we talked about how individualism in our, in our climate, in our culture, is rampant. It's rampant. And, and because of that, we have these wells or reservoirs in our lives. We have, we have the reservoir of, of meaning. We each have this desire, this need for meaning in our life. We also have a need for community. And then we have this need for freedom. So, so some would argue that there's, there's like, if you just bottled up the three core human needs, you could whittle them down to freedom, meaning, and community. And the, the issue is, is that in our culture, uh, individualism has taken such a, a, a place, and it's not all bad, but our freedom tank is overflowing, meaning that we have endless choices from the grocery store to the car lot to how, how many children we're allowed to have or not have to, to the, the way we look at our, our options of, of toothpaste to, to colleges to education. To, we, are, we have endless options. We are the people of options, and we market these options to us constantly. It's under the guise of freedom and choices. But the problem is, is to, to, to get into a, a culture where freedom is at its max. Now, I, I'm not just talking politically. In fact, separate politics for a moment and just realize that, that freedom, which does affect politics, but freedom is something that gives you endless opportunity and choices. And when you have that, you then have to make choices in order to fill up your tank of meaning and community. And the reality is, is in a free overflowing individualistic society, our tank of meaning and our tank of community is dry, it's bone dry. Even in the church, the studies are showing that we're, we're able to be in a community but not feel connected and in, in, ingrained and known and finding meaning in what we're doing. And so what we would like to, to start to delve into is, is how when we make choices to limit our freedom, we're making choices towards meaning and towards community. So in order to fill up your tank of meaning and community, you actually have to limit your tank of freedom, which sounds kind of crazy, but we, that's, what, that's what we were talking about last week. Today what we want to do is kind of take that limiting freedom concept and just talk about pace, where less becomes more. And so the pace of Jesus is fascinating. Uh, the, open your Bibles to the book of Mark, and, and this is, by the way, this is not really a teaching today, it's more of an introduction to this concept, and we're going to hit some points, and, and we're going to land, and, uh, but, but just be patient and take it in context of what we'll do over, um, over some, some different weeks, but if you want to turn to Mark, um, I'm going to highlight just some, some verses out of, out of the, the gospel of Mark. Mark's really... I love the Gospel of Mark when I want to like get stuff done and read a gospel really quickly because Mark moves super fast. The, Mark's favorite word is immediately. I think he says immediately 39 Isn't times. Isn't that the opposite of the pace That's of right. Jesus? That's why it's a great book to see the pace of Jesus because it's like Mark's in a hurry and Jesus isn't in a hurry. Okay. Good point. <laughs> Mark is really excited to get to the cross. And, in fact, it's the one time we see Jesus... Um, kind of getting in a hurry is towards the cross. I don't even know what to do with mine. I don't know how to share this podium with you, you, babe. I'm going to do my best. We're figuring that out. Yeah. I I know how to share a bathroom with you. That took a long time to figure out. (laughs) And four children. 
I don't know how to share a podium. We're going to get there. Um, so I'm just going to highlight some verses out of Mark just to give you a taste of the pace. And I encourage you this week to, you can read the first 10 chapters. I think there's only, what, 16 chapters in, in Mark. You could read the whole book in less than an hour. You could read the first 10 chapters, which I'd encourage you to do this week in about 30 minutes in your quiet time. So why is that funny? Just this? Okay. So the opposite of what we're doing today. I know that's, I love it. we're going to give, <laughs> we're going to give them the, the, the dichotomy between the pace, the slow pace of Jesus. Yeah, setting you up. So Mark, Mark 135 says this, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so that, that gives you a taste of what Mark emphasizes, what a lot of the gospel writers do over and over and over again, is Jesus approached this concept of, of solitude over and over and over again amidst the poles of ministry. And one point we'll make in a little bit is that Solitude and isolation are two completely different things, and they're contradictory, and our society has confused them. And then Mark 145, some of these are kind of combining some of the other Gospels, like Luke 5 and Mark 1 both talk about this. Jesus, despite Jesus' plea that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came, come to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 2.23 says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, almost like wandering through them with his disciples, walking along. Mark 3.7 says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. So even when he's withdrawing, there's a following, and there's a hunger, and, and going to, to a place of solitude always demonstrates Jesus' hunger to be alone with the Father. It often demonstrates him and his disciples' willingness to go hungry, to be with the Father, and the people that are also willing to take on, they, they, they're like accidental fasting. The feeding of the, of, the, of the thousands is often an act of, they've kind of taken on an act of going out to the wilderness, accidentally fasting with the, with the rabbi that's teaching them, because they have nothing to eat. Thousands of people and only one boy has a packed lunch, which means what? They know they're going out into the middle of nowhere, they have no food. They're willing to go hungry for him. In other words, they're accidentally fasting, but it's intentionally and on purpose. And the reward for their willingness to fast is feasting. It's my favorite right there. Yeah. He liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so so he, he withdraws and they follow. Uh, Luke 6 and Mark 3 said so Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. And then finally in, in, in Mark 6, it says, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus says to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Um, so I'm just giving you tidbits of, of what the Gospels show, of kind of the lifestyle of, of Jesus. And then a, a little bit more detail I have in my, I need to get a thinner Bible. In Mark 6, I, I love how in the midst of the withdrawing, there's, there's this concept of, of, of Jesus challenging them. And so uh, one of the things he says to them um, Again, this is Mark 6. Uh, I'll start at verse 31. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
Because the disciples had just gotten back, returned to Jesus, and told them all that they had done and taught. So in other Gospels, it says what that was. Uh, The demons were responding to them. They were seeing miracles and healings, and they were really excited. They come back, report to Jesus. And Jesus does what I think a lot of us would do when you just went on an exhausting ministry journey. He goes, all right, come away. By yourselves. No people. Let's go get some solitude together as this tight-knit group, and let's rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And we're like, ah, oh, that sounds nice. Look, Jesus loves retreat. He loves getting away with his team. They're going to they're gonna like share stories and testimonies. It's going to be fantastic. And then those flaming people, verse 33, saw them going and recognized them. They ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And the disciples were like, dang it. And when, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He did, not the disciples. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Meaning, he took more than five minutes. And when it grew late, because it took more than five minutes, his disciples came to him and said, um, that desolate place, we're, we're here and uh, the hour, it's now late. Uh, send them away to, to the, the countryside villages to get something to eat. And he says, uh, you give them something to eat. Which is odd, because who initiated the rest? Jesus. Come away. Let's go to that desolate place. Solitude, team, building, rejuvenation. And then the people kept coming that they're supposed to be getting away from. And so Jesus recognized the need for rest, but... Here's what I think we need to acknowledge. Many of us finally rest when we're utterly exhausted. Jesus didn't rest from exhaustion. He rested from the pace of the people to be with the solitude of the Father and those close to him. Therefore, when in the act of going to be in solitude with his Father and with his team, he's able to be present and to stop and to be interrupted without it breaking him. That, to me, is convicting. Because in our culture, we stop when we can't go any further. And often, the greatest opportunities and the needs come in those moments. Why? Because of the devil. (laughs) It feels like it, anyway. (laughs) I I don't know why, it just comes then. It comes when you're flaming exhausted. This happens at work with your kids. It doesn't matter if you're in ministry or not. Because we're all, we're all living out being ministers of the gospel. And therefore, when your life has impact and you shine, and when you're depleted, that is when there's going to be some kind of highly inconvenient thing and tension that wants to test you. And the invitation is, can you pursue solitude, silence, intimacy with me, and be present in the moment and be interrupted with purpose. And then, after all that, he still continues on. Immediately after all that, he made his disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowd. And after that, he had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray. Why? Because he basically did all the ministering himself because the disciples were exhausted and probably didn't help him. I actually think that's what happened. 
Now, I was going to go rest with you. Now, I need some alone time from you guys, too. You guys go out into the boat. I'm going to be alone with the Father. I just have to do all this by myself. Your translation. My translation a little bit, but I do think that we need to be... I, in all seriousness, there is stuff going on here. Do you see how the plan changed right here? Things shifted. And this is how the person of Jesus demonstrates life, real life. All right, so we've got, um, we, we want to talk about this, this whole thing of, of pace and Jesus defining our pace. And, and so unhurried with Jesus is kind of the concept that we want us to all get today. How do we live unhurried with him? And, and how do we learn from his pace and how do we confront the pace of the culture? How do we learn from his pace and confront the pace of the culture? And there are, are four kind of key points um, that we're, we're going to kind of delve into really quickly. and Not that quickly. Uh, and my wife is going to start with the first one. The first one being, how do we respond to interruption? Yeah. So what Christian kind of, with the unhurried life, one key note that we'd love would hopefully come across is what happens when less becomes more. Because that's what I feel like as we're reading through Scripture, we're reading through the Gospels, we see with Jesus. It's not about more, 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 even though the need was more, more, more. His life was becoming less. And so often in our culture, it, instead of us defining culture, the external world we live in can impact us. And then culture starts to define our pace. And in looking at, maybe it's like because we're on a new decade, but I felt towards the end of this year, the Lord's like, slow down. You need to slow down, reevaluate. Like we looked at the rhythms, sacred rhythms, the beginning of this year. He's like, go back. Are you being renewed? Are you being refreshed? How are those rhythms coming along? And I'm like, eh, well, not so sure about that. But that's the thing. God's so gracious. It doesn't have to be perfect. So this is actually um, a business saying or it's something you often hear in businesses, but to me, it just hit home that your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So your system or your rhythm in life is perfectly designed to give the results that you're getting. And so for me, I'm like, as I am joyful, as I am peaceful, am I as restful as I'd like to be? And something was off. I was like, I'm not. I could put it on, oh, our life is so blessed, it's so full. We have a marriage, we have kids, I'm teaching, pastoring, all these beautiful things. But something was off, like there wasn't that deep abiding peace. And so in looking at the kind of like systems, it's really just like an umbrella world for what's happening inside. What's the internal rhythms of our life? And then the Lord started highlighting this word pace, which is what Christian honed in on. He's like, we talk about the ways of Jesus. Like, what are the ways that Jesus does, does things? We often talk about the acts of Jesus. Like, this is what Jesus did. This is what I'm going to do. Um, but the Lord was like, what about the pace? And what is pace? Pace is walking. Like, how fast are you walking? How fast are you moving? The pace you're setting. What about the pace of Jesus? And if we have to think about it, it was over 2,000 years ago. There was no scooters. There was no cars. There was no bicycles. There were donkeys. And there was your feet. So it was a walking pace, which is literally about three miles an hour. 
So can you imagine being in a car and it's moving three miles an hour and not lo losing your ever-loving mind? No. You'll be like, this is it. I'm done. I'm going to get out. I'm running to that store. Forget this car. But literally, that's the pace that Jesus lived his life at. So I haven't read it yet. I've just got um, excerpts from it. But there's a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. It's by a Japanese author. How do you say it? I have no idea. Kosuke Koyama. Um, where he literally argues that the pace of Jesus is the pace of love. And so the first point that we're going to kind of unpack, what, he just, what Christian said, is that Jesus was not in a hurry. And interruption, just think about a moment when you're really focused, imagine in your mind's eye, and now think about, if you're me, your children barging in. Or wishing like, oh, why can't I be Christian? He has his office outside. I only have a bedroom door. They know where both are. They're not locked. They don't knock. And I'm not sure I want them to because then it feels like there's a separation. But at the same time, I'm like, interruption. My in instant response isn't always like, oh, sweetheart, I'm so delighted to see you. What do you have on your heart today? Tell mommy about it. Sometimes my response is like, I need space. I, need, I just have to get out this flaming email. I'm just trying all day. Like, I just need space. And the Lord's like, that is not at all how I operate. Because Jesus, when he was interrupted, he would pause. When we're interrupted, we don't pause. Culture doesn't press pause. Like, if you get a thing on your phone, and it's like, oh, scroll, scroll, scroll. Like, they say the phone has about attention man of what, or attention span of four minutes. I'd say it's like 20 seconds. You know, it's like, uh, is that Instagram feed? No, it's kind of boring. Go next, next, next. And you're training your mind to think at this lightning fast pace where if God even was like, hey, hey, I kind of want to talk to you. I want to speak into this. There was not even the slow amount of processing to be able for the Lord to interject that. So this is astounding, and I never knew this, but over 50% of Jesus' miracles were actually interruptions. And it's not saying that what Jesus was doing, we know everything Jesus did was with purpose. So, for example, he's on his way to heal Jarius' daughter. And he's, there's, it says there's, this is um, Mark 5, also in Matthew 9, the story, but where there's crowds surrounding him. And Jesus stops and says, who touched the hem of my garment? And pauses and stops everything. And it's one of the most powerful stories of healing in scripture because we know that's a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and he was going to heal Jairus's daughter who was 12 years old but the woman with the issue of blood it was like her faith moved his heart to stop where he was going to heal the little girl but the faith of the woman moved his heart he stopped and he looks to her you know and he heals her and he calls her daughter which in that time, if you have an issue of blood, you can't be around your family, you can't be around your community, and you're totally isolated. So you wouldn't have had a family. So in that moment, he restores her identity. He restores her sense of family, and he heals her. And then he continues on his way. Or think about the example when he's in the house, and all of a sudden, debris starts falling on his head. He's like, hmm, what's happening? I'm teaching. Can't you see I'm teaching here? No, he didn't say that. And a lame man is lowered through the roof. Like those roofs, okay, granted, they were constructed with mud and with rocks. So they're, it, but it's still, it's going to take a process for a roof beam to come off. It's not just going to be a three-second, 
Oh, uh, be healed in Jesus' name. Anyways, so I was saying, like, that's not at all what we see with the life of Jesus. We see the interruption was actually a place of purpose, a place of intentionality, and a place where he said, Father, what are you doing in this moment? What do you want to do in this moment? And not always. Of course, there has to be a balance, too. Like, if I never had a headspace without my kids screaming, I would go crazy. Um, but, yeah. Good. So what's that for you today? Where, where is the most inconvenient interruption of your life? Maybe it is like us with a, with a child in a really terrible moment, constantly, never-ending, four kids at home in the midst of whatever. Maybe, maybe you're running a business and you constantly are getting interrupted and you, by your employees that just don't remember the stinking thing you've trained them to do 20,000 times and you can't get any work done until 1 a.m. and you're not sleeping and this and this and this and this. It doesn't matter what it is. I'd like us all, take a moment, close your eyes. What is that interruption that you cannot stand? And I want you to envision, this is, this is prayerful meditation, envision responding differently. Okay. If you could conjure up the best response in your spirit, humanly possible, that doesn't even feel like I could even respond this way, envision it. Envision it. That might be the first step. Maybe you can't even say it or pray it, but maybe the first step is to start to envision it. And wake up each day and ask the Lord to put before you those moments of interruption, your most trying moment. Just don't, no more than three different kinds of interruptions. So maybe it's like, you know, usually morning, afternoon, evening. What is the, what is the core interruption? Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's that person you're interested in that's been texting you, but it's taking your focus at certain times of day. How are you being interrupted? How are you allowing yourself to be interrupted? We have control over our interruptions like never before. Choose to limit your, your freedom of interruption so that you can be fully present and envision what that looks like. Partner with Holy Spirit. We ask him right now, Holy Spirit, highlight how in just one, two, or three practical ways of my morning, afternoon, and evening do I look at this type of interruption with fresh eyes and your yeah. eyes. That's good. Amen. Okay. Yeah. C.S. Lewis says, what is truest about a man is how he responds when he's taken off guard. Which I was like, oh dang, that is so convicting. What is truest about a man or woman is how he responds when he's taken off guard. And as we were praying about this series or this sermon I guess and the pace God was starting to speak to me he said you can't do anything in a hurry better than you can do when you're not in a hurry and in our culture there's such a lie that if I'm in a hurry that means I'm being accomplishing things I'm getting things done I'm being productive this is great go 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 next thing next thing he's like no you can't do anything better in a hurry than you can when you're not in a hurry because when you're in a hurry you're actually missing half of what I want to do and half of what I want to say, and half of the people's eyes whose gaze I want you to meet. Sometimes in a hurry is faster, and sometimes it's not. Uh, I, can wa I love washing the dishes really fast. With music. With music blaring. <laughs> but it's not because I'm stressed. I do that, like I can be present in that and flowing in my dishes cleaning efficiently, like the way it's supposed to be done. But 
if I'm allowing sometimes, sometimes that, I have to redo the if dishes. I can still be interrupted, yeah, that's the issue, not how fast I'm going, right? So the issue isn't always speed, but sometimes it is. And if you look at your life and the speed that you're going, you start there and then analyze your heart along the way. Yeah. Uh, Jesus sped up once in the gospel of Mark. In Mark 10, it's in verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. He had already started to prophesy to them that he has to go to Jerusalem, give himself up, be killed, and he would rise the third day. They had no idea what he was talking about, but they knew it wasn't going to be good, and they weren't sure how many people were going to have to die with him. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. That was strange. Remember? Three mile an hour pace. So to walk ahead means the three miles like kicked into like, you know, he downshifted up to like four and a half miles an hour. And all of a sudden they're like, dang, Jesus, you're walking fast. You're way ahead. That's not normal. And we know that this was significant because the response is they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And so he, he, he then responds to them, See, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. They'll spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Good news at the end. They, they didn't hear any good news. They just heard death, flogging, spitting, and they were afraid. Because they're like, well, we're on your team. This doesn't look good for our team. But the point is, they couldn't understand why he's speeding up towards that. Jesus is able to speed up where everyone else would slow down. What are those things that you are not looking forward to confronting? You probably are slowing down there. Yeah, I have great pace on those things I need to confront. There's a whole lot of things in my life that I need to speed up, and they're usually the things I'm putting off. The way of the kingdom isn't linear, it's interconnected. Analyze your pace. Jesus walks and lives at this pace of rest, and he knows when to speed up to demonstrate that he is not afraid of con confrontation. He's not afraid of his destiny. He's not afraid to do hard things, and that is our identity in him. Super encouraging. Some of you do need to speed up towards those things you're putting off. Most of us, our lifestyles, need to slow down, breathe, and listen. Good. So that's point one. Any more on point one? Yeah, just how um, you're talking, how Jesus can speed up or slow down. Like, we hear the word busyness, and we usually have a negative connotation when we hear that word. But busyness in itself, if it's a synonym off in our minds for hurry, it's not a bad thing. If you think about Jesus, he, if busyness in Jesus was lots to do, that's not bad. Jesus had, was incredibly busy but he was giving away his life in a meaningful way. But when I say busy, when Liz is like, Sue, how are you? I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. It doesn't usually mean that, oh, I'm so refreshed. I'm giving away my life in a meaningful way, even though I am. It's often a more chronic, toxic, and a far more common thing. I'm so busy, but really what's it saying subtly? It's saying, oh, I need to do more so I matter. Or... Maybe it's just saying I'm overwhelmed, which for me is probably a lot. Like, I'm overwhelmed, often. Um, but it's that, like Christian was saying, the position, looking at our heart. Like, what does our heart need? Does it need to slow up? Does it need to, or speed up? Does it need to slow down? And analyzing that the pace of our life 
to really understand what's your heart longing for. Are you speeding up for meaning? Because then we need to go back and find what Jesus is saying about us. Are you slowing down to avoid pain? Then you need to speed up and to confront the pain. So it's really looking at your position of your heart in the moment of your pace, when you're analyzing your pace. Good. So point one again, Jesus was interrupted and he was able to pause. Our culture gives interruptions and we never press pause. Point two is, is to be present in the moment. Jesus was present. Our culture is distracted constantly. He was constantly present. Our culture is teaching us how to always be distracted. We, we literally, the issue is, is that we have access to distractions and we never eliminate our access to those distractions. Yeah. And exhaustion steps in when you're available in life too much of the percent of the time. So if my phone is always on me and it's never on silent mode like throughout the night, although sometimes it should not have been on silent mode like when Matt and Cammie were having their baby and I missed the call when we're supposed to be watching their kids because my phone is on to do not disturb. And that moment... And then we use that as an excuse to never be away from our phones for the next six months. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But this concept of being present in the moment, it's so powerful. Um, I think... Where's Tiff? Oh, they went to a wedding. Or no, maybe she's there. She just stepped out. Well, she leads amazing women times. If you haven't come, make sure you make them because they're incredible. This woman was about two years ago around January. And it was what asked us a question, what is the word the Lord is giving you for this year? And I heard a simple word, but I'm giving you power. And I was like, great. Like, I need power. There's people who need breakthrough. Thank you, Jesus. And he's like, not that kind of power. And I was like, okay, what kind of power? And he goes, the power of being present. As I was like, oh, wow. Because I'll go, 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 and I'll kind of take things in, almost priding myself on being a multitasker. I can do A, I can do B, I can do C. And he said, but did you do A, B, C well? Or did you partially give A your attention, partially give B your attention, partially give C your attention? And what about your kids? Because you have four kids yelling at you one time. is kind of an overwhelming moment. But did you actually get down, look in their eyes, say, how can I help you best in this moment? And so when I realized the power of being present to people and to our children, to the people we love most, is one of the greatest gifts that we can give them. We're talking about this season of giving. When you give someone your full attention, and they're like, I feel like your world, it stops spinning and mine stops spinning in this moment is all that matters. Like those are the moments that your children or your friends or your relationships, they're going to remember. And they might not understand it, but it's because you gave them all of your presence. And it was actually quite convicting um, with our kids. Judah, I'm going to share this story. They say, kids say the darndest things, right? Or sometimes the things that just cut you straight to your core and you're like, all right, our life needs to shift or our pace needs to shift, our rhythms. And he said, mom, is... Um, so-and-so, is anyone coming over for lunch today or dinner? This is when we're having a lot of dinner. It's with a lot of people. And I was like, no, or no, 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 sorry. I said, yes, this family's coming over. And he's like, ugh. It's like, why, Judah, you love that family. Your friends are in that family. And he goes, well, because we're going to have dinner, and you're going to talk to them, and you're not going to talk to me. And I was like, oh, Jesus. My heart just broke because it was true. 
It was absolutely true. When we had people in our home, because it would be rude to invite like, hey, Lena Marie, you want to come over for dinner? And then, oh, sorry, I'm just going to talk to my kids all night. Like, you, you don't do that. You do engage who's in front of you. But I realized there needed to be a pace, even with our kids, where we could take the time and the effort to be fully present with them in that moment. And recently, we had some friends stay, staying with us, and Anna and John, you guys remember them, she said, the Lord told me to set the pace of our family to the pace of the youngest child. And I was like, wow. Because usually the youngest child's the slowest, but in our family, the youngest child's just very fast. You'll see her, she's all over. <laughs> and she's great, she's an extrovert, but Judah's not. He's not an extrovert, and he needs that deep intentionality. So I'm like, oh, I actually have to encourage you guys to set the pace to your slowest member of your family. Because God put them in your family for you to see them, for you to know them, for you to love them best. And it was this beautiful picture of how can we be fully present in that rhythm of our life with our kids. And sometimes just communicating to them. So I told Judah uh, last night we got back from a couple of days of retreat. with We were living with like three other families. And, and then today we've got church day. Big, long day, wonderful day, and then a, a lunch at our house after church. So I told him, you know, Judah, we had an awesome time, didn't we? Yeah. I said, are you looking forward to some alone time with the family? He's like, yeah. And uh, this is before bed, like doing prayers. And then I, and then I said, we got a big day tomorrow, too. You know, and he's like, yeah, church tomorrow. And, uh -huh. and, and we have a lunch at our house afterwards. And he goes, oh. <laughs> but I go, but after that lunch, we're going to have family time tomorrow night. And Eloise wants to play that game that we played over Thanksgiving. And just with the family. How does that sound? He goes, yeah, I like that. And then, and, then this, and, then, and then this morning, like once or twice, I think it might have been twice on him or once him and once another kid, they, they had a different capacity going into Sunday because I had reminded them when the intentional time was coming. So, so they knew how to handle what, what we're at today. And there was clear dynamics. And there was also what? There was a commitment on my end of priority so from the front end. These are the ways that you set the pace, and you don't let just the responsibilities of the church set the pace, like for us. It's we allow the family to also set the pace, and we communicate with the rest of the family where is the priorities and what we're doing. So we're learning this as we go. I have not done that really well until today, uh, and, but I'm going to continue getting better. Yeah, full disclosure. No, it's so good, though, because what Christian's speaking into is really the desire to be proactive instead of reactive because the reactive mom's heart is cut out everything in our calendar take it my calendar murder it murder it and only time with the family but that's not what God's called us to either and then our children be living with parents who have aborted the call of God in their life so it's like we need to be what is the proactive is Judah we just had this and we have this today but tonight we're doing this as a family and that's preceding the events that happened, but preparing his heart. So proactive intentionality. And that's where we're going kind of this message. Like, how do we intentionally create a pace being proactive and not reactive to culture? Good. So the, the last two points, and we're just going to basically touch on them because we kind of already, we already uh, touched on them throughout. But the, the third point is hurry is incompatible with the pace of Jesus. I love how Advent talks about hope, joy, peace, and love, because those are aspects of the pace of Jesus that he was always fully present with and fully able to be interrupted and carried those things into his interruptions. And so we have these subtle conditions of our hearts where we don't have, when we're interrupted, hope, peace, joy, and love. Advent is meant to be that time where we start 
to, to say, where is my heart at? And how do I allow those things to breathe from heaven towards me into that? And then, and then finally, isolation and solitude. Um, I forgot exactly how I said that. Pursuing solitude, not isolation. That's right. So, so as, we, as we mentioned, Jesus demonstrated that solitude is very different than isolation. His solitude was always in the presence of his Father or, or with the Father and those closest to him. That is the demonstration of what we are to do. Isolation draws you away from community. Solitude fuels community. It fuels connection. And so um, what we want to land on is how do we live with an intentional pace? We have given some examples, but we want to briefly touch on the concept of input and output and then um, share on these four key rhythms of rest, restore, connect, create as we, as we close. So you want to briefly touch on what input and output is, and yeah. then we'll, we'll close with those. So we're going to briefly, he said, um, talk on these rhythms, rest, restore, connect, and create. And input are the first two, rest and restore. So it's about filling yourself up so that, because when you think about so that we can give out, because when we think about people, we're not a one-dimensional people. And God is, when it, God's work is never one-dimensional. When he's filling you, when he's fueling you, yes, it's to make you be absolutely a thriving, whole, contagious of the kingdom person. But it's going to directly impact your community around you, the people closest to you. And so this is kind of going, the output is connect and then create. What are we doing in the kingdom to create? So the first rhythm is sort of filling up the first two, yourself, and the next two is pouring out. Good. So if I could have the worship team come up, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to start to kind of respond for this um, as we close. These are four rhythms for a continual state of renewal. Rest, restore, connect, and create. And, and what we want to do, she's going to give some examples. I, I think what, what I'd like to do is we're just going to kind of pray over everyone. And the team will play behind us. And what I just encourage you to do is, is start to really uh, connect with the Lord on what are these things. Uh, there's a, this week we're going to send out a quiz for you to take on what is your dominant rhythm of these four things. Rest, restore, connect, create. Like she said, some are inputs and some are outputs. My dominant rhythm is actually create. Her dominant rhythm is restore. So her dominant rhythm is an input. My dominant rhythm is an output. Navigating that's going to be really interesting, isn't it? That's why we miss each other. He's going that way, I'm <laughs> and, this way. And, and we'll get into this in coming weeks. But it's funny, like when I want to reconnect with my spouse, what, what my, I'm noticing my create rhythm is driving my connection. And her restore rhythm is driving her desire to connect. We both want to connect, but we both have a different uh, rhythm that leads us and guides us. And so I often want to like reconnect by, by talking about creative type of things. And she's like, what the heck are you talking about this right now? We're depleted, need to restore some stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then sometimes, sometimes we can, one of us sacrifices for the other, and we realize that, why did I not feel as connected as you? Oh, I'm wired differently, and that's okay. But we can get strategic here, but we can also, we can also take the posture of, this is what's going to help as far as relationally. Um, not coming with leading with my desire that I have to, I have to be restored first or connected first. Um, that doesn't matter what relational dynamic you're in, single, married, parent or not. 
And, and so right now, with your heavenly Father, you don't need to know what you are. We'll send that quiz out if you would like to take that and delve into that. But take these four things, because we all need these elements of rhythm, these continual states of renewal, these rhythms. And we're just going to pray over you. So why don't you guys stand? Put your hands before you. Yeah. So we're just going to pray, because my big thing is I can get something theoretically, but I'm a, I want to know how. Great. I get I don't want to live a hurried pace. We get we want to slow down to the pace of love, to the pace of Jesus. But God, how do we do this? How do we live intentionally with our time in cadence with your Holy Spirit? Father, I thank you that, God, you are not a one-dimensional God and you didn't create one-dimensional children. And you created us to be a people of rest. A people that we're not resting because we've reached our limit and we're burning out. But you've created us to be a people that are resting because we know who our Father is and we know who we are in him. perhaps that rest rhythm, you're like, oh, I do, I need that rest. Maybe you need to parent your phone, parent our children's, and sometimes our phones seem to run our life, but it's about time we run our phones. Or maybe we need to get quiet, create space, and listen. Maybe we just need to stop the work, actually practice a Sabbath. Or maybe the rhythm that's highlighted is restore. The rhythm of rest is the foundation of renewal. But without rest, we teeter on the edge of burnout. And we're kind of demanding or responding to life with the spirit-infused moments, but not actually from a place of abiding rest. But when we can embrace fully the system of rest, we find the full potential to be restored. So maybe you need that rhythm of restoring where it's giving yourself permission to play, permission to waste time. I remember when God said, I give you permission to waste time. I was like, that is outlandish and get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And God was like, no, that's for you. You need to learn how to waste time and create memories in those moments. And maybe it's a rhythm of connect. We're such an individual society that we actually thrive on, I can do this myself, whenever, wherever, however, I got this. And God's like, I didn't create you that way. I created you to connect intentionally. Yes, maybe sacrificing some of your freedom, but bringing deep communion and community as you do. And maybe it's the rhythm of create, where you're so full, you're overflowing. But it's time to work with your hands, to learn something new, to actually say yes. Maybe some of you have such good boundaries that you say no all the time that there's no space to take a risk. To say yes, take a risk to something that you've never done. 
So God, wherever it is, whether it's rest, restore, to connect or create, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come. You would highlight to your people, I am calling you into this. Because while we can have strengths, like Christian and I have different strengths, it doesn't mean the other rhythms are not vital for life. So I pray in this, even as this decade comes to a close, this year end comes, that we would take the time to create a system or a structure or a rhythm in our life that allows us to walk in the pace and of love and the pace of Jesus.